0: the family of God this morning, lifting his name in praise. I know we've got some new faces in our audience today sharing this time with us, joining us online as well. Thank you for being a part of our time together. We're truly honored that you are here. And our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, and we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that place you could call home with your family to help us retell that story of Jesus that we do in so many different ways around here. Each and every one of us are gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we use those gifts to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Talking about gifts, you know, I want to take just a moment to recognize Luke and the praise team that he has on stage every Sunday. Doesn't he do a great job leading us in worship? We are grateful uh, for the staff that we have here and all the work that they put into making sure that we are taken care of uh, as a family. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and I hope you've got your Bibles. We'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. All of our texts will be on the screen, of course. Now, my guess is you've got lots of holiday traditions, some Christmases that you've been nostalgic about as you think uh, this time of year about times past, and maybe you think about that moment that you and the family decided to do a a kind of a one-off Christmas and you went to the mountains or you went to the beach or some distant location where you had Christmas together, and that's a very fond memory for you. Maybe for you, it's just that annual trip to Grandma's house, and uh, you're there, when you walk in the door, you smell all... All of that the cake and the pies and everything else and you're just glad to be there with family and that's a very reassuring moment for you. No doubt you've got lots of different memories of your own Christmases past and for me I, I thought of one that we had we just did this one year on the Hall side of the family where um, the entire extended family we all drew names and then bought one gift for the person that we drew a name for so we weren't buying lots of other gifts. Now, for a kid who's in elementary school, the wheels really started turning because I thought, okay, I've got one person buying me one gift and they're not buying one for anyone else. This year, it's not gonna be underwear and socks. I'm so excited. It's gonna be something very different. And sure enough, I couldn't wait till the evening and we gathered around, we opened our gifts, and I remember my uncle had drawn my, drawn, drew, true, drew, drew, drew my name. And there in front of me is this model airplane one that I could fly myself, and not in the cockpit actually, but from a remote control. And it was an exciting moment for me because as a kid I got super pumped about this gift that was in front of me. Uh, it was at night, so we didn't have time to go out that evening and try it out. But it was one of those planes that had one of those big square batteries, and you kind of sat it down on top of the two prongs, and it took a charge that way. And so we, we charged it, we being my dad and I, we charged it all night long, and we couldn't wait. We got up and had breakfast the next morning, took it out to the driveway, and I got the gears and everything ready to go, the, the, the remote, and sure enough, nothing happened. So I began to look at the remote control. Dad took a look at some things, and we decided that maybe it didn't have enough time to charge or the charge wasn't set properly. So we set it again, and then at lunch, we went back out and tried it again. You know, that plane never flew for me. It was it was terrible. It was a terrible gift on my end. But, you know, my uncle had a different purpose in that gift, and me, the receiver, took it in a totally different way. My guess is you've had gifts like that too. Gifts that you've given and you thought it has this purpose, but the receiver might not have seen it that way or had that experience either. As we take a look 2,000 years ago at this moment that the world celebrates on Christmas Day, the coming of our Savior to earth, as we take a look at the gift of that baby placed in a manger, and it wasn't at all what the world expected in a messiah. The story is nothing like they had imagined ever in their history that this is the way it would all come about. I mean, you've got a baby boy who is born basically in a barn to a couple of peasants. You've got a pregnant teenage girl who's got a very short engagement period. You've got some crazy story about how she became pregnant, some supernatural event. You've got on the night of the birth, the only visitors that they had were these smelly shepherds that had just come in from the field from their sheep. And they too have a supernatural story to tell about an angelic host and singing and proclamations and the the task to come in and worship this baby. The story was nothing like the world had ever imagined. And that story we're going to pick up today in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, "'Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, "'for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, "'and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, "'for he will save his people from their sins.'" All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the Son of God leaves heaven, and he comes to earth. And it's a story, if you grew up in church, if you're clued in at all, you've heard this story a hundred times in your life. And my fear this morning is that you and I will glaze over the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Over these last few weeks, we've unpacked some of the names of Jesus. And of course, Today, the Sunday before Christmas Day, we wanted to to look at the name Emmanuel and what that means for you and me in our life. How important is it that we have Emmanuel in our life? And so as we think about it from our own perspectives, this morning I wanted to put together two or three different perspectives that maybe you haven't thought about before. And the first idea is this. How is Emmanuel important through God's eyes? You take a look back at verse 23, the text that Matthew puts in from Isaiah. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, know that Isaiah had written those words 700 years before Jesus ever came to earth. And we're reminded in the context of that very name that Emmanuel in Hebrew literally translated as God is with us. But in the reading of this text and the actual happening of the moment, the baby being born, what we're reminded is that we serve a God who keeps his promises. We serve a God who is faithful to the story that he's called us into And Isaiah points toward a future moment when he writes these words of a God that is not distant from us, but one who literally moves in next door to us. Have you ever thought about the birth story through the eyes of God the Father? Now, our boys are grown young men now, but when they lived at home, it was important when they traveled anywhere, even across town, you got to text us when you get there. you got to make a phone call when you get there. you got to take a picture with the parents of the house and send the picture to us. We want to make sure that you're in the right place. You didn't break down along the way, didn't run out of gas, flat tire. Let us know when you get there. But this, this is God coming to earth. It's a totally different moment. And many of you have traveled great distances this holiday season, or you will, to be with family members, friends, and loved ones. You think about the travel that, that Joseph and Mary did in our story. They're leaving Nazareth, going to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. Mary is very pregnant riding on a donkey, Joseph walking the trail, and there's about 70 miles between those two towns. Now to give you a visual of what that might look like for us, if we left this church building and began to journey northward, get to 75 highway north headed toward Oklahoma, by the time you get to Van Alstine, Texas, that's 70 miles. That's quite a journey from Mary and Joseph. The wise men in their story traveled hundreds of miles over a period of time to worship the new Messiah, the new King. And God kept his word and traveled a very long way to be with you and to be with me. You know, the last time the Queen of England left home and visited the United States... The last time that she did that, she brought with her 4,000 pounds worth of luggage. She was gonna be here a little while. But you know, when the king of kings came to earth, he brought no luggage, there was no carry-on, he wasn't even wearing clothes. He simply was born, wrapped in strips of cloth, and laid in a feeding trough. You see, God won't just move heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. He left heaven and came to earth to have a relationship with you. His coming bought our freedom, that we now have hope. He brought freedom from sin into our lives. I mean, can you imagine letting your son go and you've never been apart, ever, ever, Before time, God the Father and God the Son always together. And now God says, today's the day. You're leaving me. And Jesus spends nine months in Mary's womb. And the Bible's quite clear in the Gospel of John. He didn't just let Jesus go, but he sent him into the world God endured watching his son leave heaven. Why? Because he wants you and I to have a relationship with his son. It's that important to him. The perspective of this story through God's eyes is a miracle. It's unbelievable. But church, it is the best gift you and I will ever get for Christmas. Jesus is the best gift. So what does Emmanuel look like through Jesus' eyes, Jesus himself? I mean, God with us is more than just a a cute, catchy marketing phrase to get everybody on board. But for Jesus, it was a lifestyle 24-7. He moved in next door to us. He lived life with us. And as Gary mentioned in our communion thoughts this morning, referencing Philippians chapter 2, that he left all the glory of heaven, everything he had in heaven, he left it all behind and was poured into a man, a humble servant who lived life, who endured life humbly, just as we're called to do, born to two peasant parents in a barn, and laid in a feeding trough. And sometimes the extent of that gift is not fully recognized and embraced. Now, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and ask you to help me this morning as I ask a question. How many of you have already gone out and bought all the gifts that you need to buy? Go ahead and raise your hand. Five of you. Wow, you're in trouble. Hopefully, there's some time this week that uh, you're going to get to do that before Wednesday. Now, how many of you had uh, someone in mind, you thought, okay, this, this person is difficult to buy for, but I figured out what I'm going to buy them. This is the limit that I'm going to buy. And so then you went out to make the purchase, but while you were out, you ended up spending more money than you had intentionally, initially thought you might. Hands, yeah, most of us, we've, we've all done that before. I mean, any household upgrade works like that, doesn't it? I mean, you paint one wall and pretty soon you're replacing the kitchen sink. It's crazy how that works. (laughs) It's just one thing leads to another. It's like pulling a string on a sweater, it's terrible. Literally in my neighborhood right now, four houses down, Two weeks ago, a family got a new roof. And every day I go home for lunch, there's something old out by the curb. There is old carpet, old tile, old sinks, old cabinets. I guess that's what they got for Christmas, a whole new house. I'm not exactly sure. But that first Christmas gift that was laid in the manger was precious. But all along, it was always destined for the cross. When Jesus came to earth... He knew what that gift was going to cost him. And he could have verbally defended himself at a moment's notice with just a whisper. He could have called on heaven's armies to come down and rescue him in the moment. But he didn't because with all of his head and all of his heart, he wanted to be Emmanuel, God with us. Calvary was a voluntary, voluntary death. Jesus was clear. No one would take that gift away from him. It was his to give. He laid down his life. And in the moment in his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, when everyone that he knows is telling him to stay away from Jerusalem, his disciples, his followers, his family members, don't go to Jerusalem. It's a hotbed. It's trouble. It's going to be the end for you. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, the actual translation of Hebrews says, says, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus would not let this gift go. He knew what needed to happen. And our text in our New Testament tells us over and over that there is no grace, there is no mercy, there is no forgiveness, there is no hope without the shedding of blood. Jesus knew this was part of the gift. And so in that last week of his life, with celebration he enters the capital city of Jerusalem but by week's end he will be he'll be arrested he'll be spit upon he will be slapped he will be beaten he will be flogged there will be a crown of thorns pushed into his brow he will be forced to carry his own instrument of death to Golgotha he will climb onto that cross voluntarily He will allow them to hammer nails into his hands and his feet and will be raised and suspended between heaven and earth. This is his gift to us. And in the moment, there will be a thief who will lean out. He's crucified between two thieves. One of those will lean out and he will say to Jesus, I know who you are. Why don't you save us and yourself? But you see, Jesus knows something that the thief does not know. Jesus cannot do both. And so in that moment, he chooses to save you. You go back 33 years from Jesus' life from that point on the cross, go back 33 years when the angel is talking to his earthly father, Joseph. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. The perspective of the gift of through Jesus' eyes it's almost unbelievable. But what does Emmanuel mean through our eyes as well? I mean, what does it mean for you and for me that God is with us? Well, it means we have a high priest who knows your life, knows exactly what you're going through, knows the temptation that you experience every single day. We have a high priest in Jesus, Hebrew tells us, that knows who you are. Church, we serve a powerful God, but he's also a very personal God. He knows you by name, and he knows the difficult life that you are experiencing. And so in moments this Christmas, when you feel a very difficult moment in December, or you feel a very chaotic Christmas moment, know that you have a Savior who has promised to walk with you even in the difficult moments. He understands us. He is God with us. And if you believe that story, and I'm saying that I do, the implications are endless for the gift that Jesus wants to give each and every one of us. I mean, it means that God is interested in your life and mine. Jesus came to earth to close the gap between us and our creator. He closed the distance, and he promises to always walk and be with us. And in my years of ministry, there have been many families, some in this room that I've Journeyed with and walked with in very difficult moments, and together we have read through Psalm 23. And what's the writer remind us of? Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't fear because I'm with you. I'm right here with you. At the very end of his ministry, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 28. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 reminds us that God has said, listen, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. And in the message version of John's gospel in chapter 1, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus made a decision to give us the most precious gift himself. And we are joyful of that this holiday season. I mean, why else would shepherds go back to the fields rejoicing? Why else would wise men travel for hundreds of miles to to worship and bow down at the feet of a new king? Why in the world will angels sing glory to God in the highest? The fact is, God isn't distant, but he is with us, church. He has chosen to journey with us and be with us. But sadly, there are some in our world who just don't believe it because they have circumstances going on in their life that veil the presence of Jesus that make them believe he's not present. For some of us in this room, we've gone to school, we've gotten the degree, we've sent out the resumes, we've networked the best we can, but for whatever reason, the job just isn't on the horizon. Some of us have made a decision to stay pure until marriage, which we accomplished, and now we've found Mr. and Mrs. Wright, but yet there is still no baby's cry down the hallway no family on the horizon. Some of you will walk to an, a car alone after this service because although you are involved in the work of the church, you're serving other people, you network, you're doing what God's called you to do, there's Mr. and Mrs. Wright have not appeared in your life yet. And you're wondering, where is God in my story? For some of us, we carry guilt and shame for past mistakes we have made. And it's kept us from fully embracing a God who desperately wants to be in your life, who loves you beyond measure. We go back to our story with Mary, a pregnant teenage girl in a culture and society that will not tolerate that at all, the guilt and the shame that Mary initially must have felt. Remember in Luke 1, though, the angel speaks to Mary, and he says, greeting favored woman, the Lord is with you. And the Lord is with you as well. I think back and continue to be humbled at early choices in my own life And yet God still wants to be with me. I think about this congregation moving to this location not too many years ago. And since being here, the death of staff members that we've experienced along the way. But even in in that moment, God is still with us. You may be... In our audience this morning and dealing with a difficult divorce, you're picking up the pieces. You're trying to discover where your friend group is now. How is life going to go on? But understand where you're at in your story. God is still with you. You're searching for that job. You were loyal to that company for years. And they've downsized and they've let you go. And now you start a brand new career. You're not exactly sure financially how you're going to make ends meet. But know that God is with you. You sit in that room with the doctor and they tell you that the cancer has come back. It's going to be a difficult journey, but know that God is with you. Your life matters to our creator. And how do we know that? Because he sent his son to this earth. And in doing so, it was the biggest I love you that either one of us could ever experience That same God that was with Mary some 2,000 years ago, church, is the same God who's with you today. He keeps his word. His promises are true. And Jesus Christ is the best gift that you and I will ever get on any Christmas day. And not only Christmas day, church, but every day of our life. Jesus came for a reason. God promised in Isaiah to come and dwell with us. He kept his promise, and he will never, ever leave you or me. And So this morning, as we wrap up our time together in this holiday season, let me encourage you to fully embrace the story of a baby in a manger whose gift did not end at the manger, but whose gift ended with an empty tomb. And because of that, you and I have the greatest life that we could ever have in a risen Savior. It's because of Jesus that you and I have life and have it to the abundant. It's because of Jesus that we have hope. It's because Jesus that we can overcome whatever the world throws at us. And so, church, we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus the Christ. He is the son of God, but he is also our brother. And he's done so very much for you and for me. So as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around the wall of this room. And my guess is that, that some of us in this room have some baggage that we've had difficulty letting go of. There are some in this room who can't fully embrace and experience Jesus Christ because you've not given him your burden. And so as we sing this next song, as we lift our voices in praise, find one of those shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you. Be reminded that you have been extended grace and mercy and love because of that baby in a manger. Because of Jesus Christ, you and I get to experience the most abundant life anyone could ever hope for. Jesus is our greatest gift. And it's in Jesus that we'll finally be able to do everything that he's called us to do in his son, Jesus Christ. We'll have power to overcome whatever the world throws at us. And so church, as a family, let's stand and praise his holy name in this next song. Let's stand together.